0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And today we are going to cover some really cool topics. The first one is things you need to include in your job post. Let's kick it up a notch. The second, we're going to talk about recruiters, what not to do. If you want to keep your job (laughs) and then thirdly, we get to talk through our favorite topic and that is the top applicant tracking systems ranked by the recruiter community. So with no further ado, let me introduce my lovely and talented co-host Serge Boudreaux.
0: Shelly, nice seeing you again. It's been probably a day since I've seen you. So you're looking fantastic. Let's talk about someone that's looking really fantastic. Yes. Let's introduce our guest co host, Will Van Middendorp, who looks
1: younger every time we have him on the show. What is going on with you? Are you taking young pills or something, Will?
2: Just have two young kids and be pushed by your partner to do a workout every day after drinking pretty much through <laughs> the holidays. So stop drinking, workout, and just keep running. But thank you so much. You look amazing as well. And oh, for- gee,
1: gee, thanks.
2: Gee, stop thanks. sucking up,
0: Shelly. He is not he looking does look younger. He look younger
1: with his hair longer. Yes, he does
0: he looks like he's growing a mullet is is that the style you're going for will
2: you know what i'm going back to the 80s like i'm from europe so i I gotta bring it back a little bit here
0: you haven't been on a show probably in four or five
2: months what has been happening in the world of will a lot of good things actually i'm excited to be here first of all thank you so much for having me again it's always a pleasure and even listening to your podcast just always gives me energy. And I love that bickering between the two of you. So I'm happy to be part of that again. <laughs> a lot is happening. I took a little bit of a break from the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group, which uh, was desperately needed. I dare to say I was a bit overwhelmed with everything that I did last year and... Trying to get back in there. But yeah, it's been rejuvenating to actually take a break over Christmas. Coming up with uh, a new event on February 24th, which Ooh. we're really excited about, and getting our first ever sponsor by Career Beacon for that. So that's like amazing. Imagine. Um, I, imagine I wonder right? how that happened, right? You know, uh, <laughs> it's lovely. But we'll be talking about diversity sourcing, which is a really hot topic. And um, besides that, Next International, I've got some contracts on the go. I've got a new partner um, for Lucrative, So we're actively focusing on that to launch it this year. And I I keep saying living the dream. How stupid does that sound? But every time people are like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm just living the dream. And I actually am. (laughs)
0: If I know anyone that's living the dream, it's Will. He's just doing his thing. You've got so many things going that you remind me of me with like 20 different things that you're working at once. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I think you
1: guys are cut from from the same material because there's very few people that can keep up to the pace that you guys keep. Like it's almost unbelievable. Like all the things you have going on all the time.
0: Well, you have a lot going on, Shelly. Everywhere I look at right now, Shelly's involved (laughs) and she's a mover and shaker, Shelly Billinghurst.
1: Mm, Sure, sure, sure. Speaking of events, Wreckfest in the UK, July 7th, I'm just ready to click on purchase for my flights. I'm going to go. Search. You need to come with me because I'm thinking of doing a disrupt HR. I imagine there's spots, but Chad and Cheese are hosting the disrupt HR stage. It's Can a disrupt stage,
0: Kelly. It's not the disrupt HR. Disrupt HR is different, it's the disrupt stage. It's not associated the with disrupt HR. What is disrupt the HR is his own organization. The disrupt stage is just what they call the, oh. the stage that Chad and Cheese are, are hosting. So,
1: Yeah, I should be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up for something. Oh, shit.
0: I'm glad you're going. I am still on the fence.
1: Even though Tapod is coming?
0: Tapod, everyone's going. But Shelly, you don't know me. I I don't get FOMO for anything. Well, you do know me. You should know. Fear of missing out for me is not a thing. I have to look at all my priorities and what is going to be the roy of going to that event will are you going maybe will
2: can go with you You no i'd like i haven't thought about that this is probably. oh my god
1: it's going to be so fun so fun it's an outdoor festival and it looks like an outdoor party (laughs) with with every recruiter that is anyone from around the world is going to be there come on you guys you've got to come with me
2: i love the party aspect of it for sure and i love the disrupt guys search knows as well like We both once presented at that different disrupt event about the the other disrupt event. Yes, exactly the other one. Yes, yeah. I'll I'll look into it a little bit more, and it might be nice to just meet some other people outside of our regular circle. Well, and just for
1: the record, WestJet has a sale on right now.
0: I love
2: it, and
1: it's the Dreamliner flying direct to either Heathrow or Gatwick. Like go buy your tickets. I will, I'm going to know.
2: Like I'm in awe. Like I'm going yeah. to look into it. Come on. The- There's a seat like, sale.
1: Like the, the stars are fucking aligning here, guys. Seat sale. You can get there cheaper than flying to New Brunswick, for God's sakes. Yeah, and you you're on the Dreamliner. That? Oh my God. The WestJet Dreamliner. Holy shit. It's it really is uh, the only way to go.
0: Well, Shelly, you're not creating any FOMO anymore. (laughs) I am still noodling about it. I'm glad that you're going. You can represent the recruitment flex. You're the better looking of the crew anyway. So let's jump into our first recruitment. Uh, Okay.
1: Let's, Let's talk about something to include in your job post. Because if there's one thing that makes me nuts is reading all these cliche things about what the job includes, right? I know last week, Serge, we talked a lot about making sure that if you have great benefits, talk about it, go into depth. If you can offer growth opportunities other than maybe someday you'll be the supervisor, but if you're trying to attract really good performers, really good talent to your organization. It starts with the flip side of recruitment is understanding why people would leave a company, right? What is the the top reasons that if you're really good at what you do, why would you consider leaving? So take money off the table just for one second. If you were to ask people, even if you think of your own experience, because Surge Well, I know you guys are top performers, like so much so that you had to start your own companies because nobody can put enough work on you guys. So the number one thing I think is micromanagement, right? Why somebody's leaving is the same reason you can flip that around and use that if it's true, of course, as part of a a attraction statement on your job ad, because we know that it's the yin and yang of why people leave and what they're attracted to. It sounds so basic, but I think it, if we don't remind ourselves of the reasons why people leave and how we can flip that around. For example, at this job, we don't micromanage and check on you every hour. We actually give you the space to concentrate on your job. How about writing that in your job ad?
0: I completely agree. And I think this is a very innovative way of looking at it. What they're looking at is, a survey of what are the key things why they left a job. and the examples, you nailed it. That was a perfect example. One of it was not being able to control my own time and plan my day for optimal productivity. Well, you can flip that around. And yeah. on the job ad, you say, at this job, you'll control your own time and plan for your day for optimal productivity. You've addressed a major issue that a lot of job seekers are saying it's a the reason they left their job, right? Yeah,
1: I think the other big reason is if you feel like your boss doesn't have your back. Yes. Like there's nowhere on a job description does it say that your boss is just going to hide in his office and avoid conflict at all costs, right? That's, I think, a huge reason, if not the number one reason, outside of money, like if you're horribly underpaid, the reason people quit their jobs is because of their boss.
2: Yeah, we'll
1: chime in here. And and I hear this, and
2: I totally agree. You know what, I think, The majority reasons why people are leaving jobs is because of people. And it Mm -hmm. is about the manager. And it also is about their coworkers and all those things. When I think about this, why don't we just put that in a job description? I think we need to look a little bit further than that, because a recruiter can write a very nice job description and say these things. And like you just said, you need to make sure it's true. But when do you really know that's true, though? When do you really know that your manager is going to give you that time? When do you really know that? They are not micromanagers. And we find jobs because we like the person sitting across the table from us. That's the first and foremost. If you don't connect with that leader, the job might be amazing, but you're like, screw this. I'm not going. But I think it goes a little bit deeper for organizations in that sense. If we're telling this to candidates, are we actually an integral part as a recruitment or talent acquisition function of an organization to understand what the culture is like? Do we know the people that we're hiring for? Have we done a proper intake with them? So Mm -hmm. when we post a job like this and say, with us, we're not micromanaging, or you are getting the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as you reach your goals. Yeah. And and I think that's such a critical component that we can't forget about when we talk to candidates. We need to learn what they are looking for, but we certainly need to know Mm -hmm. what the culture is like internally. Can a new recruiter in an organization write the best job descriptions for that organization? Well, I
1: think what you said a moment ago is really the answer. And that is, if you follow a a rock solid process of taking, of doing a good intake and asking your hiring leaders, walk me through how you handled the worst employee that you have ever had report to you. Because how we handle... The difficult employees as leaders sets the tone when things are going well as well. So if a new recruiter, new culture, if they are experienced, or if the TA leader is giving them a, a solid best practice, here's how we do an intake. Do not skip over these questions. Yes, it may be hard to ask, but the beauty of being a new recruiter is you need to know this information. Like you'll get the hiring manager eye role that tells you everything. If they won't invest their time with you as the recruiter to share why somebody would leave their job or why they would come work on your team, then you have your answer, right? Like how they treat you, whether you're a vendor, third party, staffing firm, or on the internal recruitment team, you have everything you need to know about their leadership style based on how they treat you.
0: Yes, and to your point, you shouldn't be lying about anything. It's better not to put anything. If you do not know that your boss is not a micromanager, you definitely should not be putting that as your job ad. The overall goal of this article is to determine what are the key pain points of people in the market that are looking for jobs that you have and kind of countering that with things that you already know that you can execute on. If you do know that people can work on their own, they're not going to be micromanaged every hour, do put it. But if you don't know, don't put anything that you're not aware of. The biggest exercise here for organizations is really having a deep understanding of what the pain points of the job seekers that are looking for your job and turning that around and fixing those pain points. It's the same approach as you would with a marketing document, right? You're trying to figure out what the pain of your potential customer is, and you're putting the solution in front of them and exactly what we're doing here.
2: I agree. I want to comment on that. And those frustrations, you need to understand. Like you can do that research. The article says uh, amongst all of the applicants that you interview and you get those questions, you get the feedback. The reason I put this in there is that sometimes I feel that our industry peers are so focused on, oh, this is what their pain is. But if you don't really know how you can manage that internally, then don't put it out there. And a question for you, if you were to look at yourself, Church, Shelley, Mm -hmm. What would be your biggest frustration? Like, have you thought about that? Easy call. Easy call. There you go.
1: I could never
2: survive the political
1: bullshit that goes on in companies. The constant, you know, somebody's positioning and who ends up in the middle is the talent acquisition team. I, I just can't tolerate it. Like, I just want to get shit done. And is the VP of HR really representing us the way we want to be represented? Or is it just a political play? Do you know what I mean? Taking the data that I provided her and deciding not to share some of it because it doesn't suit her political agenda right now. Oh my God. Like I could never do it. No, I could never do it.
0: Well, that's why you run your own business. You saw what you like and you don't like, and you took the path to be able to control that. It's pretty similar for me, Shelly. And I think one of the things that I look at and is frustrating with an organization is... Is the ability to execute. I work for a lot of leaders that have great ideas, but when it comes to the core, make a decision. (laughs) Make a decision. Let's try not to be friends with everyone. We gotta make decisions that actually change, which I've found that in smaller companies than I have in larger companies. So I'm more attracted to either be in business myself. Or to work for small to mid-tier where things can move a lot quicker and not tackled by that bureaucracy. So similar to you, Shelley.
1: What about you, Will? Like chime in here. What's the the one thing that would repel you? There isn't enough money in this world to get you to do that job.
2: It's the same. Like I'm an entrepreneur. And why did I start that? Because I felt that I could do better on my own than uh, trying to please others. And I feel that being an entrepreneur, being able to really provide the service with the end goal in mind is servicing my clients better and those that work on my team because mm-hmm. I give them the freedom. But that's mm-hmm. the beauty of working in a smaller organization. Yeah, the are political. Politics, and a search also says, just make decisions. Just do it. Don't go through 10 steps. But, you know, everybody its own, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just an interesting one to think for yourself. Why do you do what you do and what do you want to do?
0: And this is good, too, when you're interviewing as a candidate to try to determine what the real environment is and to see if it's a fit for your work style and your personality. Is this a good place for me to work? Asking those questions as a candidates are critical. But this is an opportunity for a lot of companies to be different than other companies be more creative with your job ads. And when yeah. I say by being more creative, it's not saying we don't make it up. Are, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't make Put it up
1: effort into it for crying out loud. Like just yeah. fucking Check try.
0: <laughs> exactly. And don't say like uh hiring ninja, like that's not being creative, right? Being a rock star, all that bullshit. We've talked about that a lot, but I am so excited about the next recruitment insight because, what? Oh, I'm very excited about this okay. one because it lit up the recruiting world last week. And that's all I saw on LinkedIn was a lot of people being really mad about this viral salary advice. And I'm I'm going to read it to you what this advice was. And then I'm curious to get your viewpoints on it. So this recruiter, Mercedes S. Johnson put on, I think it was LinkedIn. I might be wrong. I did it so, Facebook. Okay. Facebook. So I just offered a candidate $85,000 for a job that has a budget of $130K. I offered her that because that's what she asked for. And personally, I don't have the bandwidth to give lessons on salary negotiation. Here's the lesson and highlighted and bolded. Always ask for the salary you want and deserve. No matter how large you think it might be, you never know how much a company has to work with. Then hashtag be confident. All right, Shelly, I'm going to go to you first. Want to get your old thought process. Obviously, a lot of people have really strong feelings about this. It's it's the lesson in what
1: not to do. Why in God's name would you think it's appropriate to put something like that on Facebook? To what end? She was buried with comments and it went absolutely viral on every channel that there was, she tried to do a Hail Mary save by saying, oh, the message was ask what you're worth. But the fact is, as a recruiter, candidates always believe they're worth more than they really are, right? They always do. So if somebody comes and says, I'm looking for, and this all precludes the fact that there's no pay transparency, you didn't post your pay range And you're putting the candidate at an immediate disadvantage because you're not advertising pay. And so somebody to come in and say this candidate had the experience that you were looking for. And she said, I'm looking for 130 to 150. Now, are you going to proceed with that candidate? Because now we're playing the game. And the game is, I gave you a range. Nobody thinks they deserve the bottom of that range. So if you just flip it around slightly and take her advice and say, ask what you're worth, and that person believes they're worth 130 to 150 would they be excluded from the process? Because now you believe as the recruiter that they're outside the range you can offer. That is the game that everyone's playing. The recruiter doesn't trust that the candidate knows what they're worth. I think that's why it was such a gut punch to both candidates reading it And to the recruiter, I think the only thing that set my hair on fire about the whole thing that she said was when she said, I don't have the bandwidth to counsel people. And I'm like, you don't belong in recruiting. Mm. Like, you really shouldn't be a recruiter. Like, the damage this has done to our profession makes me sick. Will,
2: share. Hashtag bullshit. That's what she should have written underneath her post. This is <laughs> such bullshit. Exactly like you say, Shelly. I personally don't have the bandwidth to give lesson on salary negotiation. Who the F are you? Like, why yep. are you doing this? It's just mind-blowing. And again, yes, she did apologize, but only after she was called out for something like this. And there's a few things there. First of all, a recruiter <clears throat> should be an advocate for, on both sides. You're in the middle. Awesome point. And for, yep. the, for the organization yep. you recruit yep. for, whether you're external, internal, you're there to build long-term relationships. If you can't focus on what this is going to do to retaining employees, then mm-hmm. you don't understand what recruitment is about. If it's just a part-time contract job for a certain term, so be it. But if you're going <sighs> to hire somebody at a salary range that is $45,000 less than what you actually have budgeted for, this person is going to find out rather sooner than later that somebody else is offering you more money and they're out. Do you know how much money that costs you? That's triple to $45,000 because now you invested in them in training and now you don't keep them. you got to hire someone else. I get so mad seeing this. It is about the long-term relationship. That's why you're a recruiter. Yes, you're good in finding the right employee who can add value to your organization. But if you can't add value to the organization in your position as a recruiter, now get the fuck out. Yeah. And the other thing is when the article also talks about common practice, you just totally miss the mark there. Sure, there's industry peers who think it's great because as recruitment, we save the company some cost upfront. But in the long run, you're making them pay more. So there's nothing about saving. What you do is if you're the good person and you get the right candidate in, they might have a higher salary, but they will have an ROI that you want to see. So and the the worst thing in this sense is that she actually had hashtag black women in tech. (laughs) Now I go to hashtag black women in tech and I was like, okay, so now we're adding in a diversity component to the whole thing. And what you do there is you totally bash that whole thing where we say we need equal pay. We need to give people equal opportunities. You have a budget. Yeah. Then work with that. And you can say sorry at the end but you ruined your reputation for me. Sorry. So
1: Honeywell is her employer and you can't find this Mercedes S. Johnson person anywhere. She's erased every trace of her on social media. It
2: actually says she's got a new job opportunity. Yeah. That's what the article she says. She got fired. Oh, I sure. But she was an external one as well, I believe. Freelance talent acquisition specialist. But still, whether you're internal, external, I don't care. If you don't understand this job, yeah, then you don't belong here.
0: Surge, I've come across this. So I've worked in an organization that this was common practice of ask what the candidate wants. And if it makes sense, we're going to pay them that, even though technically we have a higher budget. And I can tell you that's backfired tremendously for that organization because they came to the point where tech talent was being really competitive, that a lot of their internal talents were way underpaid and new talent was coming in at a way higher rate just based on what the demand of the market. So now... They have to go back and try to figure out how to give people raises to get everyone to an equal point. And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that if it would have been done right at that time, it wouldn't have been an issue. What's happened is they lost a lot of the team. They had unusually high attrition, uh, higher than what the industry norm is. I've seen it many times that people come into an organization they're happy initially. Then they talk to their coworker and they're one beer away. They're one beer <laughs> I'm away. we talking about pay. Exactly. And they're like, I make this. And then suddenly that is like 40,000 less. How would you feel as an employee that you got screwed and, and you might be a better performer than that person and they're making 40,000 more just because they asked for it? The other element, you just brought it up. We are all coming from a world of privilege. So all three of us, we we grew up in Canada. We're white. We've always had a lot of job opportunities. A lot of people are sometimes very nervous about asking what they feel their worth, just in case they might lose the job. And, and I do think it's caused large issues with salary between men, women, people of color. There's I'm glad in, you
1: said that, Serge, because it, women confident. will hesitate To negotiate on money. You're absolutely right. That's a fact.
2: So, as an external party, and I've gotten advice from you as well when I worked with a tech company in Vancouver. And you told me that you do an annual review of all the salary ranges for the jobs that you have, and you pull Mercer reports and you pull all of the other data, and whether that is for a Pega or whatever, it doesn't matter. But you take a strategic approach to your role when you're internal with a company, you advise senior executives on this is where you should be as far as salary ranges. So you have a good understanding of that. As an external party myself, I understand the concept of wanting to be as transparent as possible. And I know that some people feel like I should never be able to ask any candidates what they want as a salary range. But where I think I should be is I need to understand. And it's not about overcompensating. I'm doing research right now for a law firm administrator. And the range that I've been given, because it's a bit more of a remote role outside of a big city, is that they gave me salary ranges that I'm like, okay, I can see what I can get. But I got candidates who want thirty and 40000 over their top band. And what did I do? I said to them, it is beyond what they have told me, but it doesn't exclude you because I th- still think you've got the right skill set. You still bring exactly what they need. So I will put you in front of them. And if they decide that is something that they can't afford or they don't value your experience, then that's on them. But as an external recruiter, I'm an advisor. If I don't take that data into my consideration of presenting candidates, what I do then is just being like a corporate puppet and say, sure, you want this. Let's see what I can find and just give it to you. Then you're not taking that strategic approach anymore. Yeah, That's a
1: a great approach for sure. There's so much information available now, even before you go to market, come back to the client and say, like, we're miles apart for, for what you're looking for. The other thing I wanted to just add, Serge, when you and I first started talking about this whole thing going crazy was there is a little bit of wisdom of not always bringing people into the organization at the top of the salary band as well. So equally, I think, demotivating is when you bring somebody in at the top of the salary band, pay them what they're worth, they perform, they meet all their objectives, and you can't give them an increase. But to bring somebody in with a little bit of room, because everybody likes to be rewarded for good work. So I, I would never advocate that she should have just come back to the candidate and said, well, actually, the role plays pays 130. That would be a mistake.
0: You know, I think that's a little bit of a flawed thinking based on the experience that you've had in the type of companies that you've worked in, large organizations where salary ranges are so formulated across the board. But I think the reality of this new world when it comes to salaries and expectations is you bring them in at what their value is. Screw your salary range because you need to look at different ways that you can compete in the market. So yes, you bring them in, say, at that 130 and if they're excellent, you either promote them. And when I say promote, I don't mean being a supervisor. There is people that you can promote in technical capability roles that they're bringing that role as an individual contributor to the next level. So I agree with what you're saying, but I disagree with the whole fundamentals of it. It's a old thinking that we have a salary range, we're not going to go above. It's this person, they're stuck there forever. And what's happening with those people is they're just leaving. Because sometimes you don't have a choice. If you are at say 130, your competitor is at 130, are you gonna offer them 125 because you wanna give them room to get to 130 in in two years from now? It doesn't make any sense. You bring them in at 130, then if they're that great, you figure out how you're gonna promote them or give them a salary bump outside of the range. We have no choice right now. And you're making an assumption
1: that somebody wants to take on more responsibility, Search Like, you're really blurring the line here. What we're talking about is to bring every candidate in at the top of the range is every third-party recruiter's dream, right? Because third-party recruiters get paid on what is the salary. So then now we're looked upon as we're trying to drive up our recruitment fee, But what we're really talking about here is honestly thinking more strategically. If you are an internal recruiter, you understand the implications of bringing somebody in at the top of the range. And if you assume that they're so good that they are going to be operating at a higher complexity level within that job family... That's a big assumption. And very few people will do that in their first year. They'll do well unless you think that every single candidate you hired is the Lord Jesus Christ themselves and they can walk on water. Most people do good work in what they do and to not even be able to give them any sort of increase because there is nowhere to go. And it's really not reasonable to think that you can in one year be operating at the next job family level and promote somebody.
0: I, I get you where you're coming, them- but I still stick to what I'm saying. If it's going to take that person, that amount of salary to bring them in, you bring them in at that amount and you figure out how you're going to compensate them. Yes. Should someone.
1: That's, that's, the recruitment is just creating a bigger problem for somebody else by doing that.
2: But Who's going to figure it out? Do You
1: think recruitment has the authority to increase salaries? You bring them in at one thirty and go, now it's your fucking problem. No.
0: If you don't bring them in, what's the solution Well, So
1: in this example, this recruiter's job, like Will said, was to be the advocate on behalf of the candidate. To bring them in at 85 and then to brag about it on social media, her brains fell out. Like Mercedes, you, you
2: lost your mind. I agree. I had one comment here because I think we're both right. I think as a recruiter, which is where I'd like us to see, is to be more strategic and integral part of an organization. So when we know that we've got the right candidate with the right skill set that needs to be at the top of the range, then we need to advocate for that. And we need to write a case why we should be putting them there and also clearly explain what value they bring to the organization that eventually there will be an ROI. Therefore, we can get more money to possibly promote them. But in this- Is that recruitment's job? I think as an internal recruiter, you know all the insights from the market. You hear all about these candidates. If we're just going to go off a Mercer report and say, this is the data across so many hundred companies, there you go. Now you can do it. My neighbor next door might have a team of three people, doesn't have the budget that the other company with a hundred people has, but they need the same skill set. So I think we as recruiters in the marketplace need to take a bit more of a strategic approach to say, we're consulting you. We're helping you. We're driving business. We're driving sales. Like eventually your cost. Determine how much money you really made. But if we are just focused on this person has a bachelor degree, has five years experience, and they've done this and they work with this system, there you go. We're not adding any value. That's what an, a tech system can do for us as well. This lady is out of her mind. Talking about the fact that she's got 45,000 saved for the company. Well, you know what? You just got yourself fired, I assume. And you just brought in a candidate who will leave with a no time.
0: Do you know she got fired not because she did that, right? That would have been a really positive thing for upper management. I've seen it firsthand where they actually congratulate people for bringing in people at lower cost than what they expected. She got fired because she bragged about it on social media and that came back to Honeywell. So let's all agree on this. Let's agree on this principle. Treating people appropriately and setting them up for success and being honest with them is critical. If that salary would have been 120 and a high range is 130, that is way more respectable to me to do that than just say, well, oh, you asked for 85. There you go. You're going to be underpaid. You might be the top performer, but screw you. I don't have time to negotiate. No, that is giving recruitment a bad name. We cannot go down that road.
2: And if if you talk about the diversity component here, and then I want to refer back to an event I recently did with Rochelle Davies about indigenous people. She said uh, that indigenous people in general won't advocate for themselves. So they won't go in strong with salary negotiations, but they might have the right skill set or value add for the organization. So we as a recruiter have the job that if we want a more inclusive, diverse workforce, we got to advocate for them. And if you're just pulling things away from them to just make yourself look better, you're not in the right profession area.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. I want to talk about something that is not controversial to any of (laughs) us here. So let's just all agree, Mercedes Johnson, I hope you learn your lesson. I hope you find a job that... You said she found another job? She didn't tell where she went. She's keeping it confidential. That's probably a good move. I would suggest not advertising it while this is so hot, but... Let's talk about my favorite topic, ATS, Applicant Tracking Systems. And our friends at Recruiting Brain Food did this amazing survey where they surveyed recruiters across the world on multiple different questions of what attracts recruiters to organizations, what type of systems do they use, and what ATS do recruiters like to use. And I don't think anything of it is going to be a surprise. So let me break down the world. Then I'll go into Canada, and if we have time, we can go into the United States. So, in the world, the top ATS was Greenhouse. Greenhouse got 545 positive sentiments mm-hmm. and got 48 negative. Not surprised, Greenhouse is an amazing ATS. Teleo, our old friend at Taleo, <laughs> and I actually came across Teleo today with a client that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Taleo was 287 negative sentiment and 35 positive. The ratio on that was amazing. Workday. So Workday is one that some people say it's a great ATS. It's shit. We all know it's shit. Workday was 234 negative, 94 positive. I'm going to call out a couple more. Smart recruiters, 146 positive, 19 negative. So... Smart recruiters, amazing ATS. Success factors, 123 negative, 34 positive. Before I go into Canada, I'm gonna ask you Shelly first, and I'll go to Will. Any surprises, if we look at ATS and what actually recruiters need in a market, the recruiters are extremely hot. You better be asking that question. What technology are you using? Shelly, what's your take?
1: So no surprise at all about Taleo and Workday and success factors. Because it's always felt like you're wearing someone else's clothes. It was never built for uh, an applicant tracking system. It was an afterthought. And so the market is speaking. Like, it's clear that this was not built to help us do our jobs. And that is to hire. What I found most interesting was iSIMS that globally, almost 64 negative sentiments, 56 positive. So it's like they're in that love-hate relationship, which is interesting, I'd say, that's what I hear mostly from clients
2: that use it. What do you think, Will? Yeah, and I'll be honest, I don't know as much about all of these systems because I'm doing some contracts here and there. Right now, I'm actually working with Workday, which is an interesting one. And there's goods and bads to it. For my agency, I'm using Recruit CRM, it's a small little startup for agency. I love it because it's like smooth. They're really innovative. They keep adding new features, but there's a lot of things in there that I'm like, oh, from a corporate side? No, heck no, I wouldn't want that. Greenhouse, I've heard a lot of positive things about, but there's continuously involvement in these systems. And what I hear a lot is with the bigger companies, they can't keep up with it. So they're so stuck in their own regiment of saying, this is what we offer and we're so good, but they don't look ahead. It also depends on where you're coming from. Are you looking at the internal side of things? Are you a staffing agency? Are you permanent placement? Do you do payroll? Are you looking at price? I like so many things. I'd love to, with my Canadian recruitment Networking Group, do more of a session about, show me some of your platforms.
0: Yeah, mm. it, it'd be very interesting, Will. And and I agree, you come from a different perspective because you spent most of your time on the staffing side and myself <laughs> and Shelly have spent a lot more time on the corporate side where we deal with ATS day in, day out. And I get what you're saying that some companies be like, it's just too hard to make that change. But it's their own fault. It's their own fault. So they went to the market for a brand new HCM and be like, oh the ATS is included. We're just gonna roll with the ATS because I'm sure it's great. Yeah. And then the recruiters work into it are like, this is fucking shit. It's, it's tough to work with. It's impossible, but it is what it is. So I don't buy that excuse. An applicant tracking system cannot be used as a digital cabinet file. It has to do a whole lot more to help simplify the lives of the recruiters. Simple things like booking interviewing. Well, there's two sides. There's the job seeker side. How easy is it to apply? You should be concerned about that. You have to register and you have to put in your resume three times and it kicks you out. You can't apply on a mobile phone, which 70% of traffic comes from a mobile phone. On the recruiter side, you want something you can schedule appointment, automatically distribute job, gives you accurate reporting, gives you plenty of partners. You can add on tools to it. And if your system is not doing that, it's, it's a piece of shit. Shelly.
1: The other part of piece of shit is when your
0: hiring managers
1: won't log in. They fucking dread having to yes. log into the system. Because if you've got an applicant tracking system and you've got hiring managers where this is part of their job is to hire people and they won't even log into the system. I have never spoken to a single recruiter or hiring manager that said they like Taleo. Why? Because it's just it's a dog
0: yeah, I like dogs. You nailed a major issue because a lot of the hiring managers are using outside the system. Recruiters, because they yep. the hiring manager doesn't like to use the system, they send resumes to an email address, which is really bad for your data accuracy of how you can report. Think about this with GDPR, you can't do that in Europe. As in Canada it's not there, US same as well. Guys, I'll I'll give you the Canada one then we'll sign off. So Canada very similar results. Greenhouse leading the pack. I need to go back to Greenhouse and dig in deeper because I like the system, but it's overwhelming that Greenhouse is the best ATS. 22 positive, two negative. Taleo, 18 negative, one positive. Then Bullhorn, which is a staffing staple for larger organizations, five negative, two positives. On that note, guys, everyone, if you're a recruiter, Make sure you pick the right ATS. If I'm going to spend six hours a day in a system, it better work. Will, such a pleasure to have you on the show again. I love what you're doing with the Canadian Recruiter Network Group. I love what you're doing with your own business with Lucrative, Next International. You're all over the place. But if anyone of our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best Mm -hmm. way, Will?
2: Just go to LinkedIn. I'd say Will Van Middendorp or just send me an email at uh, (laughs) willcanadianrecruiter.ca.
0: Yeah,
1: from me as well. Thank you so much for everything you do for the
0: Canadian Recruiter Network. And awesome. Shelly, I am I'm looking at flights right now and while we we're recording know. the show. Yeah, I'm looking at flights. They've gone up, but anyways, well, he can't thank, afford it. I can't afford it. So thank you audience, really good show. Thanks for listening.
1: I'll pay for your ticket.
2: Thank you.
0: <laughs> okay, bye.